Listen, Luke Maley is only 9% below a league average bat. And he is the reason why the Guardians didn't acquire a catcher at the deadline. My column. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Not every team gets to claim that their big free agent offseason acquisition is helping them win games in August in the midst of a pennant race. I'm just saying. Everybody laughed had their offseason. Well, guess what? Daniel De Los Santos has been a key member of the bullpen. Brian Shaw, the team's <laughs> undefeated when he starts. And Luke Maley was a huge key to their victory on Sunday. Everybody playing a part. Yeah, this has gone exactly the way that we all would have anticipated. And we'll get to that when I, we look at the opening day lineup compared to where we're at today. And <laughs> consider... All of the things that have happened throughout this crazy ride of a season that has brought the Guardians to still within a game of first place of the Minnesota Twins after a split with the Houston Astros. We've got that on the table. Fron Mill, Bo Naylor added to a top 100 list. There's a lot to get to. It is the Selbius Godcast. I'm TJ. That's Zach. Thank you for clicking play and subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify. Thank you to all of you that help support the podcast by being a Member over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash Godcast, where you get one additional episode per week for the low, low, super low price of $1 per episode, and you get access to the show Discord, which has taken on a life of its own. <laughs> that's a separate animal. It's like Frankenstein's monster. What have we done? But that's fun to follow throughout the, the games as well, so come join us over there. It's a party. So my two... Almost three-month-old child attended his first game on Sunday. And he saw, like, no action. I think I think I already turned him off from baseball. <laughs> really? It, was, it had a good pace to it. Yeah. Is offense the only thing that this kid is going to care about? I, I swear, kids these days, all they care about are runs being put on the board. <laughs> good pitching. Great defense, timely hits. Is this really a lost start on today's youthful generation? People want action. Especially kids these days. What generation? Melee blast didn't do it for you? No. No, but um, they split the series. I don't know that anyone would have predicted that after Friday night. I think uh, a lot of the rhetoric out there was well, even if this team would have made a trade at the deadline, they're not, they can't hang with the Astros and the Yankees. And maybe that's true, but they have some ingredients that they can win some games. And, and it's, I don't know, you just, you start thinking about the future and what this roster might look like. It's just, every time you count them out, they sort of remind you, we're better than you've thought all along since April. Even in June, maybe when you thought we'd fade. 
Still in August, they're hanging around. And thanks to the, in this pitching, or this series at least, the pitching in the final two games, Cal Quantrill was very mm-hmm. good in the, the game on Saturday. And then Tristan McKenzie was as good as we've seen Tristan really throughout this season and his career. You know, it's it's interesting because you kind of reflect on games where Tristan looks like that. The thing about Tristan is he has games where he might, in this, I think, like his previous start to this one, he might give up five runs and still look that dominant. And he gets ditted by a three-run home run or something. But, you know, it's about finding that consistency and being able to not, not live at both ends of the spectrum. But the development that we continue to see with him is something we've chronicled for the better part of a year now. It just speaks to what we've said so much about him is that he's got the ability to just go dominate good teams. And I know this isn't the A Houston lineup. Still a really good team. It's still the Astros. It's still guys being pulled off the bench late in the game to pinch hit. Still finding way to get out of a jam that maybe was brewing in the eighth inning by inducing a double play ball. And the thing that I've probably been most encouraged uh, with McKenzie when we've seen him at his best is that he's finding ways to get deep into ball games. We kind of worried about, is he going to be durable and is he going to be around the strike zone enough? Is he going to trust his stuff enough to be able to get this team consistently into the sixth, seventh, or sometimes eighth innings? Because that's when a pitcher kind of steps over that hurdle, that's when you see a youngster kind of go to that next level. I feel like we're seeing that here with Tristan, that that he's a guy that you can now hand the ball to. Of course, you're well beyond the guy that couldn't make it out of the first inning. Not to say that those starts can't happen, but the consistent effort from McKenzie, even if he's giving up you know, three, four, five runs sometimes because maybe a home run got him, he's still doing that thing that an ace does, and that's going out and giving you innings. And a lot of them are super quality. And look what he's done to some really, really good lineups, especially here recently. He's had some stretches where he's been prone to giving up home runs, but he doesn't give up hits. <laughs> and he doesn't really walk anyone anymore either. I mean, it's he's done such a great job of just limiting traffic. And when he does get burned, you know, it's usually been a solo home run, and the exception being that start against Arizona earlier in the week, which he was even kind of kicking himself about today after after today's start. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's averaging more than six innings to start. He's a, like a tick behind Bieber in average outing length. Um, Bieber leads the team, I believe. So yeah, I mean, it, it's he's doing everything you hoped he would do, and maybe he's not quite doing it the way you thought he would because... Luke Maley said it today. It's like there are some really good hitters with Houston going up there looking for fastballs. And McKenzie's hitting 90, and they still can't touch it. And he's not always hitting 90. I mean, he's we've seen him hit 95, 96 this year, and a lot of times it's 92, 93. But, you know, it's it's his command has just been night and day over what it was last season. And we've talked about it many times. The reason for that big part is it's just the mentality um, but I mean, I might as well ask you, let's get it out of the way early today. <laughs> if, if this team had a three game series in the postseason, Ooh. who are your three starters? 
Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill. Quantrill enters the fray again, although he's been living there for pretty much the entire season. So we're back to where we started. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. When Bieber is capable of handling a tough lineup and then you have McKenzie there, that that makes you feel so much better about what your staff could like look like in a playoff series because we have said it a hundred times now. Beyond those two, and I don't have a ton of confidence in handing the ball to any of the starters we've seen so far in a playoff game. But when McKenzie's pitching like that and Bieber, even if he's not what he has been in the past, I still have confidence that he's a good pitcher and majority of the time he's going to be able to hold good offenses down or at least keep you in the game to give you a chance late. In particular, though, McKenzie stepping up and, and achieving close to whatever this level is that he's that he's approaching or is starting to live in, it just makes you feel so much better about what the ceiling of this pitching staff is. They need that because they have a ton of guys that are going to give them, for the most part, consistently okay outings and give them a chance to win. But who can go out and dominate? Tristan McKenzie has proven it on a number of occasions here recently. He can go dominate these games. That, that's really encouraging because that's the kind of performance you need once you get into an actual playoff series. What was... What's remind me of the story with Tyler Naquin? You jinxed him. <laughs> Which time? <laughs> I think I did this a, a couple of times. The one I think we've told on the show is that a number of hitters were were going through a tough luck stretch where they were hitting the ball hard, but just right at people. And I, I asked him before a game in Baltimore, "How do you deal with that as a hitter? How do you?" trust the results and not or trust the process and not just get focused on the results and get too far into your own head. He gave a very typical cliche answer after the game. I think he had like three screamers right at somebody, no, nothing to show for it. Took a big offer. And after the game, he came to me up in the locker room, just sort of like grabbing me around the neck half playfully, but I think also kind of half serious. You can't effing ask me that kind of, I don't remember all the, the different four-letter words that he used, but he used them all as he uh, approached me because uh, he was not too happy with me, <laughs> seeing as that played out. Just the thing, the very thing that I asked him before the game, that all played out. Why do you ask? Because I, so I never want to be, look, we know the Meisel Jinx is damn near undefeated, okay? Um, and I never want to be, the reason for someone's superstition or thought of as <laughs> some dark storm cloud. Um, I'm waiting for the and day. Yet you've someone... named the jinx after yourself. So come on. <laughs> I didn't coin it. Uh, I'm waiting for the day. Someone refuses to allow me to write a feature story on them because they don't want the hex coming their way once it runs. But Tristan is, he is the most down to earth laid back guy. It's unbelievable and so approachable and conversational. And like there was a start earlier this year in Kansas City. It was his day to start. It was a day game. And I'm standing outside of the dugout and he comes up, takes a step out into the dugout to like feel what the weather was like, the temperature. And he asked me, he goes, like, should, like, should I go undershirt or no undershirt or something like that or, or short sleeves or three quarter sleeves? And I'm like, 
I don't want to like make a decision and be the reason that you're uncomfortable and give up six runs. <laughs> I told him, why don't you just do the Bobby Bradley and unbutton half your buttons and let it and all get fly. released. Uh, wait, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, Meisel Jinx <laughs> mentioned his name and he's <laughs> headed elsewhere. So he asked me on Saturday, white shoes or red shoes during his start. And immediately like flag goes up. Like I'm like, I, I can't make this decision for you because if you have a bad outing, then I'm that guy <laughs> who made the decision. Imagine that shoe gives gives out right. and he blows a a tendon in his leg or because a, you told him to go with one of those colors of shoes. Right, or or Bregman hits a screamer back at him and drills him in the foot. Like it's there's way too much pressure and responsibility. So I actually changed the subject. Didn't even give him an answer. Um, so he went white <laughs> shoes, and I can pretty much guarantee you that his next start, whether that be Saturday in Toronto, I don't know if you can wear, I don't know if white matches with gray uniforms, or or maybe they'll wear the navies, but you can expect white shoes in the future, and that was not my choice. Honestly, I would have gone red. Yeah, I think most of the time I, I would go with the color, but... Uh... Interesting. I'm not going to argue with it. Yeah, he just continues to fascinate me because as good as we have gotten and people way smarter than me have gotten in being able to quantify how good a guy's stuff is, how good a guy's ability to to locate is and roll all of that into like singular digits and being able to evaluate pitchers. I feel like there's something there with him because I see guys just look foolish swinging through 91, sometimes middle-middle, and they'll swing through 91, and they look like they didn't even have a prayer. And as you see it, if you didn't see the radar gun, you would say, well, that had to have been like 95, 96, 99 with the way that guy reacted. And it just doesn't light up the radar gun. We've talked about the extension in which he throws, that maybe it's just some long, long arms that make it look like the pitch comes on you faster but he's not a guy that really leaps off the page when it comes to looking purely at data, even when you factor in things like extension and what the perceived velocity might be. I feel like he is someone that we have to be missing something, something, whether it's his deception and his ability to hide the ball through his delivery, whether it's just the way that his pitches move in tandem with the other pitches, whatever the case may be. He's not talked about like as, as far as just when it, look when you look at numbers, no one says Tristan McKenzie, he's somewhere near the top of the list when it comes to any kind of pitching model. But when I look at the batter's reactions, that says something. And catchers will talk about that, how they'll read a, a hitter's reaction and maybe that's how they go about calling the rest of a, an at-bat, the rest of a sequence, the rest of a game based on a guy's reaction to a pitch. How many times do we see someone just look absolutely foolish? And maybe it's just a testament to his confidence and ability to throw a pitch in any count now. You know, we're seeing him throw sliders on, on payoff pitches and not be concerned about throwing breaking balls in the dirt and then come back with one in the zone. Maybe it's just confidence. I don't know what it is. But I feel like somewhere along the way we're missing something because just look at the way hitters react to that guy when he throws a pitch. Yeah, I mean, it's never just one thing because one thing opens the door for more things. 
I think you touched on a few of them. Number one, baseball savant now measures extension, and he ranks in the 89th percentile. So that helps, and he's six foot five, and he's long. So yeah, those pitches are getting up to the plate in a hurry. I think two, the command is better. He's not afraid to throw it in the strike zone. The walk rate is almost cut in half from last year. And he's not afraid to let people put it in play. You know, the strikeout rate's down too. But look at Sunday. I mean, he was like headed toward a Maddox. He had five pitches in the first inning. Um, So uh, there's just, uh, he also just has like really good pitches. I mean, his curveball is phenomenal. Hitters are hitting 128 against it with a 223 slugging percentage and a whiff rate of 44%. So, you know, he throws that in the right situations. They're not touching it. That, you know, that's always going to be in the back of their mind. It just allows him to do more things. And and last season, you know, it was so... He said it. I mean, I wrote a story this week where he was talking about how he's grown over the last year, you know, when he knows he's made a mistake. And he said, he's like, I would... I would try to be so fine and I would always start with a fastball, but I wouldn't want to put it in their wheelhouse. So I'd nibble and it'd be one and oh. And then I'd say, oh shit, like I can't go now. Like now they're definitely sitting on a fastball. So I got to place it perfectly. But then it's two and oh because I missed because I'm trying to hit that perfect little spot. And then it's two oh. And I mean, they're certainly going to be sitting fastball and I have to throw a fastball because got to throw something in the zone. And you know, I mean, he just worked his way into disaster after disaster early last season. And I think he finally scrapped that mindset, which we've detailed plenty of times. And once he learned what he's capable of, that changes everything. I mean, he walks out there with confidence. He studies these scouting reports knowing this is what I'm going to do to you, not this is what you could do to me. Yeah, there's something to that for sure. Because I remember talking about this pretty extensively in 2016 when there was a lot of talk about how how Cleveland pitching was going about facing the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, and then eventually the Cubs. And there was an element of, okay, yeah, you have to pitch to the hitter and you got to try to attack the things that they don't do well. But so many of the pitches that I talked to in 2016 well, there was so much about that conversation because I think Cleveland had gone to a lot of breaking pitches and you were just seeing curveballs and sliders galore uh, in those series. You just heard so many pitchers say, yeah, I want to attack what a hitter doesn't do well, but I need to focus on what makes me the best. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means it, it, it might align where a guy that hits fastballs well, but I throw the fastball, you know, so maybe it doesn't always make sense, but... First and foremost, I have to accent what makes me me and what gets the best out of my ability. Seems like Tristan has gotten to that point where he just he has the confidence and he's just knowing so much more about himself. And it's not even just body language on the mound. It's how he carries himself between starts. It's the conversations he has in podcasts and when he's brought on to be a part of a, a broadcast on on television. He's just there's, you could just see the confidence there. That that guy knows that he belongs now. And for whatever that's worth, it's, I mean, it's working for him. So, like, if, if you're looking at a scouting report and there's a hitter who just sucks it against knuckleballs, and you don't throw one, but you're like, hey, he's, he can't hit knuckleballs, <laughs> so 
that's what I'm going to try today. That's not the way to go about it. I don't think so. I don't think. I don't think that's the, the, the proper way to go about it. But we, we, we could spend a lot of time the rest of the show talking about Tristan, and it would be fun because that's someone that has, in his head, I think, realized, I belong here. I'm talented. And this is how I get the most out of my ability. And we take that to a guy that was just designated for assignment that, as recently as last year, was one of the more feared power hitters in the game, I think. And I am amazed how quickly Fran Mil Reyes, whether it's uh, some some loss in, in ability or if it's confidence or if it's just not being in the, the proper shape or whatever the case may be, I'm shocked, Zach. I, I'm shocked that, we, that he has gone from someone that, say whatever you want about the three true outcomes, but he was pretty darn good at that. And he was certainly a, at the very least, 15 to 20% above league average hitter. They clearly believed that that's gone, that there's just no way for him to get that back, at least not here. Mm, yeah. I mean, I'll admit, like I was on my way to the ballpark Saturday afternoon, and I got a text <laughs> saying what, that that was happening, and I blurted out in my car to nobody, holy shit, like I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I mean, here's, here's the thing. You have to keep in mind, they know, they knew, like, he's a member of the 40-man roster. Then that means he's eligible for another year of arbitration this winter. They ain't paying him for $4.5 million. Like, that's not happening. So, for him to have any chance to stay in Cleveland, he'd have to be removed from the 40. And even though, like, even then, I, there's very 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 strong chance he's playing elsewhere next year because he can be a minor league free agent so once they decided in our minds he's not worth four and a half million or four million whatever it'll end up being next season that pretty much closed the door um because there's not really a way for him to remain in the organization and and if he becomes a minor league free agent he'd have 29 other teams he could sign with and i don't know why he'd stay with cleveland anyway so they made the decision obviously earlier in the week to send him down and I mean, it's his struggles are a huge reason for that. But also, it's just a lot easier to get looks at Nolan Jones and Oscar Gonzalez and maybe Will Benson um, if if you if race isn't here. So yeah, yeah, that's I, the route they prefer to go. And we can talk about how we got to this point. But um, I think I think if you've been paying attention you knew it was inevitable he wasn't going to be here next year. And once he was demoted, I mean, you asked me last podcast, is he going to come, will we ever see him in a uniform again? I said, no. And those are the reasons why. I mean, there, there's, mm. I don't know what he, like, there's no way he could have just gone to AAA and totally transformed things to get called up before the end of the season and get playing time in place of all the young guys that they want to see. You still might see him in a Guardians uniform, though, before the end of the year. It'll just be if those bobbleheads leak. Ooh. Oh, I think that they're going to pass them out still. <laughs> Somebody paid for him. You're going to take it and like it. I think it's happening. I, I think the reason why I say it the way that I, I say just but they don't believe he can get back to being even close to where he was at previously is because if you think about it, I ask you, Benson, Jones, Gonzalez, either 
any of those, if they turned out to be 15 to 20% above average bats, would you be happy with that? Sure. I think they'd be ecstatic. I, yeah, right. Well, that's what Fran Mil Reyes basically had been. So they're saying that there's just no chance that, and that's, you're thinking about that as if it is a possibility. Fran Mil, we've actually seen it very recently. And so they believe more in any of the guys that we just mentioned than they do about Fran Mil Reyes getting back to. But I think this is just the more flexible option. Because sure. you might not believe, I think they really like Oscar Gonzalez. I don't know what to make of Nolan Jones yet. I mean, I think he, we've talked about it. I think he could be solid. But this option allows you to also potentially make a trade this offseason. Sure. Or sign And you know what? The Red, Sox, the Red Sox would have had a lot more flexibility if they just DFA'd Big Poppy, too. Like, they, they could have played anybody at DH. But Big Poppy didn't have a season with a 600 OPS. <laughs> I know. But my point is, you wouldn't be concerned about flexibility if Fran Mill was doing Fran Mill things. The reason why we're having this sure. conversation is because he just is not what he what he has been. And if they had any any belief, any faith at all that he was capable of getting back to being 35 home run, 20 to 25 above league average offense, I don't think we're talking about this move. That's That's why I phrase it the way that I do. I just don't... They have no faith in his ability, or at least don't have enough to justify paying him and taking a spot away from any of the younger players we've talked about. Yeah, if this was a year ago, you probably just let him play out this season and hope he figures it out next year, right? Because you weren't quite ready to see all those guys we just named. But now... Mm-hmm. I mean, and and you'd have to commit money to him. Like, they were going to non-tender him. They tried to trade him. So, the writing was on the wall, and I don't know. I mean, I, I it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Like, immediately after it happened. Uh, I'm trying to think of how immediate. That same afternoon, I heard from somebody with... One National League team who was interested. And I have to imagine that's not the only team that was discussing it. So sure. we'll see. I mean, I, I, the one thing with him too is, you know, he's never had a reality check like this. So sure. Maybe it's, maybe it'll be a good wake up call. Maybe it'll, I mean, I, that, that talent is in there and he's just turned 27. It's not like, the power is gone and the ability to recognize pitches is right. just disappeared. Right. I mean, we chronicled it in this past show. We talked about the contact when he makes contact, it's still there. There's still the ability to hit the ball hard. And as far as your point about a national league team, I could see that because maybe national league teams haven't had the DH. So they haven't maybe had someone dedicated to that spot. Although even in the game of baseball period, in the American League, a lot of teams you'll see them cycle through guys and not have just a dedicated DH. But playoff team, would you? I would take a guy like that and stick him on my bench and see if he could hit a home run pinch hitting late in the game. Sure. When I got nothing else, I think that could make a ton of sense. I mean, for Cleveland, maybe not because you would just want to get a look at all of these guys on your bench. But well, and there's I Naylor too. See a National League team or really any team. 
because you know if Naylor was perfectly healthy and could play first base every day, maybe that changes the equation a little bit too. But there's just I think they yeah. they reached their tipping point, and I think there were a lot of reasons compelling them to do this. And forty man spots. Well, I think are he is one where you look at very true. I think you look at it after the fact and say, okay, I can follow along to see how we got to this point. Mm-hmm. But it's still very surprising to see that fall. Like we were talking about him. I mean, this shows you how smart I am. Just just pay attention to Ahmed Rosario. Ignore all of the crap that I uh, say on the side that is completely wrong. <laughs> we are talking about Franmil. We were talking about Aaron Savali being extension candidates. Oof. Not so much anymore. And, and, and it's not like... I'm not surprised that Franmil Reyes started to deteriorate offensively as he inched his way closer to 30. I just thought maybe it would be a little bit closer to 30 before he went over the cliff. Generally, guys don't just fall into a crater like this. Yeah, here's here's the thing cuz I'm I I don't like talking about this sort of thing because it's the sort of thing that like there's been a lot of talk and it was beneath the surface for a long time and has bubbled into the public sphere in recent weeks and especially in recent days because Terry Francona didn't beat around the bush maybe as much as he normally does um, when I asked him if it got tough putting him in the lineup every day. And he said, not really in this case because of body-wise, I think was the quote, something like that. Um, But, you know, and, and... He's not the only one. I mean, I had coaches, I had one coach say to me, like, you know, everyone wants to say it was the weight, but maybe it was some other stuff too. And like, (sighs) members of the organization thought he was out of shape the whole season, starting in spring training. He admitted to myself and to Mandy Bell in spring training that he hadn't seen live pitching all off season. And that was like kind of a head scratcher. Um, But it's also the sort of, those are the sort of details that nobody knows or talks about if a player is performing. You know, you could be just the absolute worst preparer and put a no effort behind the scenes, stay out late every night partying and show up and roll out of bed, show up at the ballpark and go three for four and no one's going to give a damn about any of that other stuff, right? But this I stuff... I thought we were talking about you getting ready for this show. I didn't, I didn't know we were talking about a major leaguer still. Is that why you were crying when we started this? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's the stuff that comes out like, like at the funeral. And it's just... It's always... It's difficult to say, like, it is because of this that he did this. Like... Yeah, this stuff was there, and he had his worst season by miles. And, like, but does that mean he none of this stuff existed in previous years? Like, it, it's it's just easy to point to. And sure, it certainly factored into how this all went down from a transaction standpoint or from the team just souring on him in general. Um, like there's no denying those things, you know, everybody, when this happened was like, Oh, there's gotta be more to the story. Well, like that's basically it. You know, I think there are probably some 
tentacles off of those things. But, you know, again, like he's not the first player to be out of shape at some point. He's not the first player to slack off off the field. Um, but those things become magnified in a circumstance like this. And I think that that led to his downfall. Yeah. And you're, and you're only going to hear it from one side too. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say all those things as the guy's on his way out, as you said. Yeah. Fascinating situation with, with him. I'm curious to see what happens next. Maybe we'll, we'll have a remedy on that by the time you're listening to this, but still uh, very, can I say one thing? Very surprising. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I just want to say, I mean, like there are people in the organization who do believe in his future and like, you know, I think the one thing is he cared. Like it really wore on him that he was not performing the way he can now. His some of some or much of that, um, like self induced, yeah. But it's not like he was going up to the batter's box and just swinging three times and then heading back like it was nothing. I mean, you could tell, and people have said. This guy was feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders and was trying to make it all up in one swing. And, you know, I know he got advice from a lot of really accomplished people. Vladimir Guerrero Sr. is from his hometown, and they've talked a couple times. There were some meetings with David Ortiz coordinated for him. And Ortiz this year even told him, look, I went through it in my career. Like, I was, Ortiz was the same age. He was 27 when the Twins let him go. He had finally had a a solid season with the Twins, his sixth after a bunch of disappointing ones. Twins said goodbye. And he said, I'm I'm lucky the Red Sox scooped me up and I had a veteran team around me that guided me to to the Hall of Fame. And he said, he's like, don't let them get rid of you. Meaning, work your ass off to, to make sure that you're part of their future plans. But I think by that point, probably too little, too late. Just imagine telling yourself on opening day, your fourth hitter would be DFA'd. Your fifth hitter would be released. Your sixth hitter would also just be jettisoned in Yu Chang. So we're talking about Fran Mil Reyes, Bobby Bradley, Yu Chang. That's opening day. That's why it's so much fun to go back and look at those opening day lineups. It's why you always talk about the 2016 outfield on opening day. It's just littered with names that make for good future show topics. That's that's what that is. How about 2019? I think Naquin was hitting third. Bowers was hitting like fifth. <laughs> you had Stamets and Brad Miller. Hey, Naquin, everyone was mad about how, how high he was hitting in the order. He was a coveted bat at the deadline and has been awesome <laughs> with the Mets. So, jokes on everybody else. Because you're not jinxing yeah, him I anymore. Mean, I guess so. That was the key for him to get the hell out of town. Stop talking to me. But it won't stop us from next year, opening day. We're going to freak out about that, too. And we'll freak out about the way that the rotation is stacked coming out of opening day. And it'll just be hilarious if we then look back on that and say, why were we concerned about that? That wasn't even remotely anything to worry about. I mean, Andre Semenis is hitting ninth on opening day. <laughs> He's like, you're second or third best hitter on the team. We don't really know anything, is my point here. We don't yeah, know but, shit. 
that that weekend, Quan lit the world on fire. So we knew his future was really bright. That's played out. Yeah, yeah, right. He was also in right field on opening day. You remember that? That's true. Also, you know who got the loss on opening day? Go full circle here. Hit me with it. Tristan McKenzie. In relief. That's right. Another thing that I have completely, completely forgotten. Wow. But that doesn't even really make the list of surprising things we've seen so far this year. And speaking of lists, there is a new updated one at MLB.com of the top 100 prospects. And, oh, yeah, Cleveland got another one. They're up to nine, right? That's insane. Nine top 100 prospects? Nearly a tenth of the list is theirs? Okay, so this is not to toot my own horn because I don't scout prospects. I look at the stat lines and I talk to people who scout prospects. But I tried to tell people a few years ago, like, this farm system is on the way to being really good. And when Keith Law, was it a year ago now, a year and a half ago, ranked them number two in baseball, I was like, yes, there's my validation. Here you go, everybody. This team has a really good farm system. But I think he was a little early. He liked some guys that, I mean, he he's loved Quan. He had Quan fifth in the system coming into this year, I know. He's loved Jose Tana. Um, but it's they've arrived. Like I'll be really interested to see the farm system list going into next season. You know, I don't know if some of those guys will graduate, like Nolan Jones. I don't know if Tyler Freeman will play enough to graduate, but I mean they should be top three. I mean they very well could be number one. They have nine top 100 prospects scoring to MLB Pipeline. I think two teams have six, the Dodgers and Rangers, and three teams have five. They have nine. Nine percent of the list. There's 30 teams. They're supposed to have three percent of the list. If only they would have, you know, used some of that at the deadline. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make everyone mad. They just split with the Astros. Things are Okay. Sorry, sorry. They already got their answer behind the plate. Luke Maley is fantastic. The big the thing big is... home run on Sunday. You know, like the Orioles have done a good job, and they they better have because they, ta- they tanked for decades, <laughs> right? But like the Tigers and Royals are barely on these, this, these lists. And there are other teams. It's like, You've been losing and losing and losing, and you still have nothing to show for it. So that's where, look, Cleveland's front office is not infallible. They've made mistakes. They'll continue to make mistakes. Everybody does. And there are valid criticisms of the way a lot of it is payroll-induced that they operate. But the fact that they've built this farm system, and they're honestly like... They're patting themselves on the back for nine of the top 100. But they're more proud of, like, they'll tell you, that doesn't really speak to it. It's the depth. It's all the starting pitchers who will never sniff a top 100, but, like, neither did Bieber. You know, Bieber, Plesak, and Savalia were never well-regarded prospects. And then next thing you know, they come up as rookies and look like they've been in the majors for 10 years. So... 
that's what they're excited about. Um, and it just shows you, it's like, you don't have to lose a hundred games a year for seven years to, to get back to it, but you do have to be really good at identifying talent and developing it. And that's what they've done really well. And what some of these other crappy teams just cannot figure out. So when are we going to see Bo Naylor hmm. in Toronto? I don't know. Oh, well, let me hit the music. <laughs> Our Discord believes it's going to be in Toronto because they might have some roster spots opened up because not everyone's going to be able to make that trip north of the border. It's possible. I think we'll know more in a couple days. So let's talk about James Karinchek. <laughs> Did you like his celebration Saturday night? <laughs> See, we can leave enough of a pause that you can just insert your own segue there. Um, Yeah. Hey, it's good to see that guy pitching with some confidence again. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. I still do enjoy, like, the, the opposing hitters get mad. Like, like, Al, like he is telling Altuve to suck it, right? Like, he is telling him. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, he's j- this is him. You should yeah. be mad if he doesn't celebrate if he's coming off. Like, that, that, that would speak bigger volumes here. <laughs> he doesn't act like that coming off the mound. I mean, he refers to himself as XL Dog. Like it's, this is just part of the persona. <laughs> we won't share what your nickname is. I'm still, I'm trying to wrap my brain around what has happened here with him because we you know spin rates and it was the talk of last year. And we said it many times on this show that, okay, maybe, maybe some sticky stuff had something to do with him being all world. One of the best relievers in baseball, able to strike out everybody. But you could not tell me that the guy that that was the reason why he was that the difference between that and unpitchable needs to go to AAA. Like like that somehow it was all some foreign substance that enabled him to be that way. No, I, I thought this guy had the skills to at least be a good reliever. Maybe he's not elite. Maybe he's not even great. But he's got the stuff to be at least good. We've, we've, we've questioned who is going to take the eighth inning, and for some time it was Stefan, for some time it was Morgan, then it's back to Stefan. James Karinchek has seemingly earned some more trust here with Tito, and he's getting thrust into some, some bigger and bigger spots. And the spin rate, I don't know. It's not doing what it once was. Well, at least the fastball is not. Like he's like slightly above average as far as fastball spin. Curveball spin is not good at all, but that's actually better than where his curveball spin has been in the past at times in the major leagues. So like the curveball is spinning better. The fastball isn't spinning as much, but it's better where he was bottoming out last year. What's your read on Karen check? Yeah. I mean, it's a simple formula for him, right? Fastball curveball coming at the same plane and the goal is to make it so that the hitter doesn't know which one it is until it's too late because his fastball's got a lot of ride. His curveball drops pretty far. So, yeah, you can see how sticky stuff would help that because he's able to grip the ball a lot better and he's 
got better command and can spin it how he wants and makes it difficult for theaters. Yada, yada, whatever. Science terms and shit that you love. Okay. But. Science! <laughs> the, the results are really interesting because if you just look at the results per pitch, and it's a small sample size this year, his the numbers are pretty much the same. It's a little bit inverse where last year he threw the fastball two thirds of the time. This year he's throwing the fastball 46% of the time, but the fastball has been incredibly effective. Similar numbers to what his curveball produced last year. And his curve, I mean, his curveball has been really productive too, but it's similar to his fastball. The, the difference is he threw the fastball a ton last year. And if he missed his location, it got whacked. You know, the, the average was low. The slugging percentage was high. And this year, he hasn't given up a home run yet. He hasn't given up a double yet. So, you know, it's it's the damage has been minimal. You know, if you're you're gonna have to string together hits against him, it's gonna be tough. So he's got a good thing going, and and you see the more he pitches. I mean, I I'm not gonna say the more confident he gets because that's his confidence seems to never be below. <laughs> Where do you full go throttle? A hundred. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the you problem can... with saying a movie is 10 out of 10. Where do you go from there, huh? You gonna ever see a movie that's better than that? That's why I stopped after Lion King. <laughs> Once you achieve greatness, you never feel a need to revisit. It just it changes the complexion of the bullpen. Right, because Stefan has been really good. Class A is Class A. And if you can have that third reliable guy. For a minute, it looked like maybe Hentges or De Los Santos. And for a few minutes, it looked like Eli Morgan. And now it's Karinczak's turn. I mean, as far as the movement goes on the fastball, it's pretty good again compared to where it was at like a couple of years ago. It's better than what it was doing last year. So maybe he doesn't spin it, at least the fastball, the way that he once did. But I think they... Whatever they have done with these pitchers to help them get over anything else they were definitely using or reportedly using or whatever the case may be, I think he's found clearly something that is working for him as far as just results go. But doesn't it come down to just his ability to confidently throw strikes, especially I feel like when he's able to drop the curveball in for strikes, like good night. When that pitch yeah. is struggling and he's got to rely just on one and he becomes more predictable, you might get a curveball with elite bite to it, but if I can spin on it and just say I'm not going to swing at that and just wait, as you said, for the fastball to be poorly located and I'm just going to whack it, then that's not going to be great results for him. But you know, for a while this year, as he was working his way back from injury, the command wasn't there. He was struggling to throw strikes. Even he, he wasn't even over that before they promoted him, but they didn't have any choice. They needed the arm. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's just worked his way closer to where he needs to be. And the command is clearly playing a bigger factor here. And confidence, too. Clearly, the guy confidence. Yeah, I mean, you've got his fastball curve combination, Stefan with the fastball slider splitter, and then Class A fastball cutter slider. I mean, it, that's just <laughs> three lethal arsenals if they're all working i loved it it shows you how good class a has been that on the peacock broadcast 
they they talked about Houston getting to him the day before on Saturday for a run. And they're saying, man, you know, Houston show they can get to him with what, a couple of hits? So you got a couple of hits off of him. A couple of doubles. All right. You proved you could get back to back hits off of him. Congratulations. This guy has been as dominant as I think as we've seen any. I mean, we talk all the time about, you know, what peak Andrew Miller and Cody Allen look like. And certainly this team has had a number of really, really good relievers throughout their franchise history. And we talked about him having like one of the all time great relief seasons last year. And how does he, the fact that he's backed that up and been somehow better in a lot of ways is, is just, that's phenomenal to see him just achieve new levels of being able to dominate. Just when, when did he come in in the ninth inning where you were like, I don't know about this. When was the last time you, that was the feeling. <laughs> it was like earlier this season and it wasn't because of him. It was just because he wasn't getting enough regular work. And so he just didn't look sharp. And like that was the last time throwing beer bottles yeah, right. into the field. Right. Right. That was like the last time. Oh, I mean, he's just coming in and you don't worry at all. And I think, you know, uh, I've wondered if maybe you have some insight on this. Maybe he has taken some off of the cutter to just be able to command it a little bit better. But his ability to throw strikes and avoid walks this year has just been incredible. And I wondered if, if that's a purposeful thing. Just make guys put it in play because, okay, 99 and 101. I can go hit 101 if I really want to, but I'm going to throw 99 right on the edge where I want it. Yeah, I don't know this for a fact, but um, I know he, he can develop like a callus on his middle finger from the cutter. And that's why, that's probably why it cuts is because... That's not supposed to happen, maybe. It's not natural. Um, so I don't know if it's like maybe he feels it a little bit so he backs off a little bit or it just affects him a little. Uh, complete speculation. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you're not seeing as many 102s as maybe you did last year or during the All-Star game. But at the same time, the strikeout rate has gone up from last year. The walk rate has gone down. So now his strikeout minus walk rate this year, it was at 20.8 last year, which you're like, okay, fine. He doesn't strike out as many as maybe you would think, but that's just really good there. He's up to 23.8%. So 3%, three percentage points better, three, 3% better, whatever, however you want to phrase that. And the, the FIP better than last year. And we talked about him just having this fantastic year. It, is it 199 now? He was at 211 last year. The expected FIP, 220. It was at 260 last year. The ERA is slightly worse, slightly worse, but below the hood, like he's having just as good, if not better, a season than he was, uh, than he had last year. It's, it's incredible. Again, he's going to have back to back two of the most outstanding relief seasons ever in Cleveland Indians slash Guardians slash Spiders slash whatever history. Hit that sounder. Are, are you serious? And now it's time for the random Cleveland used to play here guy of the day. <laughs> that, always, that always gets me. Um, 
so uh, there's a reason I'm picking this person, uh, but uh, I we may have done him in the past. I, I never know anymore. Anyway, he played for Cleveland from 2011 to 2013. In that time, he amassed 123 plate appearances, 53 games, batted 159 with a 469 OPS. And those plate appearances accounted for 99% of his career plate appearances. What the hell? How did he stick with them for that long? (laughs) Was once a third round pick out of Stanford. Spent time in the minors with Baltimore and Philly as well. Baltimore and Philly. And he did play in 2013 with them, you said? Four games. 0 for 9. A negative 100 OPS plus. <laughs> um, Cord Phelps. <laughs> You got it. I don't know. Did I really? Yeah. Whoa. Hold on. I got to make sure this is the right one. I was kind of just throwing that out to keep this moving along. Someone mentioned his name in the press box today, and I was reminded that that was, he hit a walk-off home run in the first the first game I ever covered was opening day 2011. And then I went and finished college and then came back and it was like his, let's see, it was his seventh game. He hit a walk-off three-run homer against the Pirates. And that was the first game I had covered. So, Cord Phelps, I'm glad you didn't ask me for the middle name because the middle name is Cord. Robert Cord (laughs) Phelps. Career war, minus 1.2. I remember he and Kipnis were fighting back and forth, like who would be the more promising second base prospect. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a Cord Phelps fan. Even if you look through the minor league numbers, there's like little bits and pieces that you would think, okay, maybe this translates. They're weird, though. And then maybe... <laughs> weird in what way? What do you mean? Well, this is scouting the stat line, so it's not fair. But like 2009, you're like... Whoa, 93 walks? Oh my God, like that's fantastic. But no power, and can you hit a little bit better? And then the next year, he hits 308, but where did the walks go? (laughs) 39 walks. (laughs) And then the year after that, he was like in between on both things. And you're just like, what what is this guy? But hit for a little more power. So, I don't know. It's just a, so never translated. All this time comparing Owen Miller to Chris Taylor, maybe he's just a better version of Cord Phelps. <laughs> Ouch. Can't win them all. Well, thanks for did hanging you, out with us, everybody. Did you think you know Dorsus Paulino we'll back later was, this week? was the next Tim Anderson? <laughs> Just going to keep saying it until it's right. 
keep wishing it into existence. I don't know. Well, for Zach, that guy over there, for myself, TJ Zupi, and for you hanging out with us, we do appreciate it. Again, we'll be back later this week, patreon.com slash Godcast. Thank you all to all of our recent supporters, too. The community is growing. Come be part of it. See ya.